0: Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Few athletes are considered the undisputed best in their field. One who there's really no argument about is Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice is without question, the best wide receiver to ever play the game of football. He owns virtually every wide receiving record in the NFL. And recently, uh, ESPN, uh, in conjunction with NFL.com, they did a piece Uh, and it was the records that will most likely never ever be broken. And the number one on their list was Jerry Rice's all time receiving record. In fact, he is more than 8,000 yards greater or right at 8,000 yards greater than the second place person on the all time receiving list. For you football fans, here's some perspective. A couple years ago, everyone went nuts over um, Odell Beckham Jr.'s rookie season, put up some crazy numbers and everyone's like, oh, he's the best ever. Can you imagine? Here's some perspective on Jerry Rice's greatness. If Odell Beckham Jr. took that incredible rookie season that was just mind blowing and he repeated those numbers every year for 20 years, which is unheard of, he would still fall short of Jerry Rice's all-time receiving record. He was the best. And most people who follow football know that, but most people don't realize that all of his greatness, all of his highlights, all of his records was just a moment from ever happening. See, when Jerry was in high school, in Crawford, Mississippi, BL Moore High School, it was a, a muggy Mississippi Afternoon, And at the end of practice, his coach would have all of the team run 20 hills. They were 40 yard hills. And Jerry was running these hills. And after number 11, he said, you know what? I've had enough. The conditions are too crazy. It's too hot, the circumstances are too great, the cost is too much. And that day on that field, Jerry Rice, the greatest receiver of all time, decided that he was gonna quit. And Jerry Rice began walking to the locker room. And on his way to the locker room, before he opened the door, he had a conversation in his mind. He had a struggle and he said, "Ah." I I know the truth that I've been gifted to do this. I know that God has given me physical resources to be great at football, but I also know how I feel. I I, I know that I can get better and better if, if I keep working, if I push through this pain, if I keep my eyes on what's really important, but I also know how my body's feeling right now. I know what the crowd is saying. I know what's going on. And so he had this moment of truth where he had to decide, am I gonna quit? Am I gonna walk away? Or am I gonna rely on what I know? Am I gonna do the easy thing? Or am I gonna do the right thing? And in that moment, Jerry Rice says, I'm gonna choose what I know right now is truth versus what I feel, versus my circumstances, versus my conditions, versus everything else, I'm not gonna listen to the noise. And he shut the locker room door and he walked back out to the field and he finished running his nine hills. And that day he said was a defining moment in his life because he chose not only to finish the drill, he chose that day that my life is gonna be defined by discipline and I'm not gonna miss the very best destiny for me. It was a moment. It was a choice he had to make. Student says, you're about to go off to college, you're at a crossroads. Our desire for you is that you experience God's very best for your life, but in order to experience that, a full commitment to God is required. You're at an obvious crossroad there's many of us in here today that are in the same position that Jerry Rice was in, standing on top of that hill because right now you feel like, what's the point in continuing? The conditions are too hard, the circumstances are too rough. I'm tired, I'm aching, I just wanna give up. And for you spiritually right now, you're at a crossroads of are you gonna believe what is true or are you gonna believe the noise? Are you gonna do what is easy, or are you gonna do what is right? And just as these seniors who are graduating today stand at a crossroads, today can be a defining moment in your life. Just as Jerry Rice went on to do things that were unimaginable, God's best for you involves doing things that will blow your own mind. I want us to look in scripture today at a story of a guy who had an unwavering commitment, an unwavering faith to God. An unwavering commitment to, and an unwavering faith in God, no matter what. And I wanna share with you this morning, I wanna share with you four keys to an unwavering life. First Kings chapter 18, we see a guy named Elijah. Elijah was a prophet of God that was sent to the people of God, the Israelites, to proclaim his word, to proclaim his message to them. We see in this story a guy named King Ahab. When this story takes place, the Israelites were divided into two kingdoms, and Ahab was the king over Israel. Ahab was a follower of God, but Ahab married this girl named Jezebel. She was not a follower of God. In fact, she worshiped idols. And when she married Ahab, at first Ahab was like, this is not gonna be a problem, but it became a problem because he began immediately to compromise his faith based on the noise. I can imagine his honeydew list, you know? Jezebel said, Ahab, when are you gonna get around to that list? Well, what's on the list? Number one, build a temple to Baal, who was a false god, an idol. Uh, I really don't want to do that. When are you gonna finish that list? But see, 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 honey, what see, I'm I'm a follower. Come on, get on that list, do this for me. And so he compromises and he builds a temple to Baal. Next thing you know, he begins to compromise more and more and more. He has the prophets of Baal come and eat at the king's table. Before long, he is the ruler over Israel, begins to have government-sanctioned idol worship. And the people of Israel went from being devoted to God to going along with the flow, doing what was easier, making decisions based on feeling rather than what they knew was true. And when we pick up this story, Israel has a big, big problem. God had sent Elijah to Ahab three years earlier and said, because of your idol worship, because you're not faithful to me, I'm gonna send a famine, a drought to the land. And there will be no rain for three years. Three years has gone by. God said, Elijah, I want you to go and talk to Ahab and let him know I'm about to send rain. Something's about to go down. So when this story picks up, we have Elijah, the prophet of God, going to meet Ahab, the king of Israel, and there's a lot of tension about to happen in this conversation. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 18, or you can follow along in the Sugar Hill app. We're about to see and encounter the king of Israel, the prophet of God. And to go ahead and clue you in on what's about to happen, Elijah's about to say enough of this going back and forth between I'm going to serve God, I'm not going to serve God. I'm going to be on this side of the fence when I want God's blessing. I'm going to be on this side of the fence when I want to go with the flow. And Elijah's about to draw a line in the sand and say, you got to choose, you got to pick, where is your allegiance? And Elijah not only demands this choice, he shows them how to have an unwavering faith. We pick up in verse 17. When Ahab saw him, Elijah, he exclaimed, so is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? Here's a translation right here. Elijah, you are getting on my last good nerve. And he said, you're a troublemaker. You're the one who's caused all this problem, this famine, this drought. And Elijah looks at him and says, I have made no trouble for Israel. You and your family are the troublemakers for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and you have worshiped the images of Baal instead. Here's our first key to an unwavering life right here. Choose to obey God no matter the cost. This was a tough conversation, In the previous verses, we see that Ahab, in looking for Elijah, trying to find him, had killed anyone who had even seen Elijah. Anyone who had seen him but not been able to bring him and capture him, Ahab was killing him. But Elijah knew that his message was from God, and so he chose to be obedient regardless of the cost. Ahab said, why are you causing trouble? And Elijah reminds him, I'm not the one causing this. Your sin and your disobedience to God is what is causing all of this. See, the nation's problem was not a lack of reign, but a lack of loyalty and obedience to God. The key word here was obedience. Obedience for Elijah and obedience for the nation of Israel. Elijah said, you've brought a drought on because you have pursued another God. See, Ahab's doing here what sometimes I'm guilty of doing myself. He had his focus on the wrong issue. You ever notice how sometimes we get so caught up in arguing about the effects of sin or the consequences of sin that we don't focus on the root of the problem, which is sin? Imagine you're going home today after lunch and you pull up to your house and there's smoke coming out of the roof of your house. There's smoke coming out around the windows, around the door seals. And you say, huh, look at that smoke. I bet that smoke is gonna cause our house to stink. Why don't we run up to Walmart and buy some Febreze so the smoke doesn't cause the house to stink? Or you know what? I bet all that that black smoke is gonna change the wall color. So why don't we go to Lowe's and pick up some paint on the way home? Let's paint those walls. Well, that's absurd. Why? Because the problem is not the smoke. The problem is the fire. So many times in our lives, and I I promise you all the time, I get calls from college students. Say, "Trip, I need help. What do you need help with? Well, my life's falling apart. I'm having this issue here or this issue here. And they're wanting help dealing with all of these consequences and all these circumstances when really if they would deal with the root of the problem, which was sin, it would take care of all of the rest. Let me tell you this, students. Sometimes I hear students say, you know, I really hate all the rules that my parents have in my house. I really hate all the boundaries and the lack of freedom that they give me At home, Let me tell you this, if your parents have drawn a line and have taken a stand against sin in your home, that is the greatest act of love that they can show you. For parents who say, I don't care what Jimmy's parents do. I don't care what the neighbors do. I don't care what everyone else in our culture is doing. As for me and my house, we are gonna honor God. We are gonna serve the Lord. Students, if your parents do that, you need to kiss them and thank them for that. Because sin robs you of God's best for your life. But there's a cost. In the previous verses to this, we see a guy named Obadiah who was supposed to arrange this meeting between Elijah and Ahab. And you know what Obadiah said? "Uh Uh-uh. Man, you think I'm getting caught up in this? No way, I don't wanna die. And here's what Elijah said. He said, as the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. He said, I've got a call from God. I've got a mission. I'm not gonna put this off no matter the cost, no matter what. I'm gonna be obedient and I'm gonna be obedient today. Look in verse 19 with me. So Elijah said to Ahab, now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 450 prophets of Asherah, think Baal's girlfriend here, who are supported by Jezebel. So he says there are 850 false prophets and there's me. Let's go ahead and settle this thing once and for all. We see here in in verse 20, So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel, and Elijah stood in front of them and he said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. On top of Mount Carmel, Elijah drew a line in the sand and he said, How long are you going to waver? Another translation says, how long will you limp between two opinions or how long will you sit on the fence? He said, if the Lord is God, then follow him. But if these idols over here are God, then then go ahead and commit to that and follow that. But you gotta choose. Notice the people's response. He demanded a choice, but the people were completely silent. See, they were interested in the provision of God. God, send us rain. We need you, God. They were interested in the blessing of God, but what they were not interested in was the commitment to God. And what they did not realize was that if you're not ready to commit, you need to stop looking for the miracle and seeking the blessing. Elijah says, you gotta choose in verse 22, then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever they, one they want and they cut it up into pieces and lay it on the wood of the altar without setting fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and I'll lay, uh, lay it on the wood, on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God and I'll call on the name of my God and whoever answers by setting fire to the wood is the one true God. Elijah says, I'm the only one here. I'm the only man standing, but let's settle this once and for all. He said, despite the numbers, let's put God to the test. Here's our second point right here key to an unwavering life. Trust in God no matter the circumstance. Trust in God no matter the circumstance. And the key word here is faith. Well, how did Elijah have such a big faith? Elijah had a big faith because Elijah had a big view of God. There's a story of of a businessman who was had to go to a small town on a business trip and he invited his wife to go with him and she said, sure, I'd love to go. When she found out that they were flying on a small twin engine Cessna to this small town, she said, I don't think I'm interested in going anymore. And her husband said, sweetheart, your faith is too small. She said, uh-uh, your plane is too small. He really wanted her to go so he booked a flight on a large commercial airline. And she responded, as she put it, her faith grew because the size of the plane grew. See, the object of her faith determined how much faith she decided to have. Students, if you want something to tweet, write this down. The object of your faith determines how much faith you have. Guys, don't be scared to put yourself in situations for the sake of God's glory where God is the only answer. My friend Jay Strack says, the bigger your God, the smaller your obstacles. Elijah is so confident in God, he's not afraid to challenge the majority. He's so confident in how big his God is, he's not afraid of the odds. He's not afraid on being on their home court. He says, I believe in God and I believe that God will deliver. And then he tells the prophets, okay, you go first. In verse 25, he said to the prophets of Baal, you go first for there's many of you. Choose one of the bulls, prepare it, call on the name of your God, but don't set fire to it. So they prepared one of the bulls and they placed it on the altar and they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime. This gets funny right here. And they're shouting, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. So they're praying, oh, Baal, send the fire. Oh, Baal, let's do this. And Elijah's just sitting back watching them. And it says he's hanging out from morning until noontime. And about lunchtime, he decides, okay, I'm gonna have fun with this. They're dancing around, looking for their God to answer them. And about noontime, Elijah began to mock them. And he says, you're gonna have to shout louder. And he scoffed, for surely he is a God. He says, perhaps he is daydreaming or is relieving himself. Elijah literally tells them, maybe your God's in the bathroom. He says, maybe he's away on a trip. He has some important business he needed to go take care of. Or maybe he is taking a nap and you need to go wake your God up. So they shouted louder and following their customs, they cut themselves with knives and swords until blood gushed out of them. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. But still there was no sound. There was no reply and there was no response. You may think, that's pretty funny right there. Man, what idiots. They're dancing around, they are going mad to the point of cutting themselves, trying to get an answer from a false god. You and I both know this, false gods never give an answer. But before we're too quick to be hard on them, let's think, let's consider what we make idols today in our lives. It may not be a statue, it may not be a graven image, but an idol is any person, pleasure, or possession that's more important than your relationship with God. Students, ask yourself this, you wanna know if you have idols? What do you find worth and value in ahead of your relationship with Jesus? And whatever that is, whatever when you go off to school, someone is gonna tell you when you hear the noise that you should find value and purpose in, you need to remember this false gods never give an answer. They never, why? Because they are cheap imitations of God's best for your life. However, God always has an answer. Then why is our faith sometimes so small? Remember this, it's important to know that it's impossible to trust someone you don't know. The next three verses tell us why Elijah's faith was so big in his God. In verse 30, Elijah called to the people and he says, y'all come over here and they all crowded around as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel and he used the stones to rebuild the altar of In the name of the Lord. Here's your third key right here. Rebuild the altar of God, no matter the conditions. An altar is a place of prayer, of sacrifice. An altar is a place of repentance and reconciliation. Think worship right here. Before anything went down up on top of this mountain, Elijah repaired the place of sacrifice. And it's not about sacrificing an animal here. It was about sacrificing his heart and himself to God. The rebuilding of the altar was a call for reconciliation. The key word here is intimacy. I'm going to be careful with this illustration right here. But whenever you see a pregnant woman, you can know for certain that she did not get that way by reading a book about sex. Information did not get her pregnant. Intimacy got her pregnant. Transformation doesn't occur in Christians because we read about it. We're transformed as we get close. Intimacy is the key. Too many times we wanna see the power of God without seeking the face of God. And experiencing the power of your God of God in life begins by building your altar. It begins with prayer. It begins with repentance. It begins with reconciliation. It begins with you sacrificing yourself to God. Students, you better get serious about building your altar. Write this down, if your altar is not in place, don't expect anything of eternal significance to happen in your life. People say, I just want to see God. I just need a miracle. I just want to see this. Well, if your altar's not in place, don't don't even look for that. Don't expect anything of eternal significance. In verse 33, so he piled the wood on the altar and he cut the bull into pieces and he laid them on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering in the wood. And he does this repeatedly. He says, I'm going to make sure y'all know that God is God. So he douses the bull. He douses the altar, the wood, the stones. With so much water, the trench around it is overflowing. And at the usual time for offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah walked up to the altar and he prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and I am your servant. Prove that what I've done is at your command. Oh God, answer me, answer me so these people will know that you are God and you have brought them back to yourself and immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones and the dust and it even licked up the water in the trench and when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and they cried out, the Lord is. He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. We see this incredible miracle. What happened before the miracle? A prayer that defined this situation. Principle number four the last one is this promote the fame of God no matter the crowd. Elijah promoted God's fame above his own. He wanted God to be known to others. He desired himself to be known as a servant. He had doused the altar with water, and he wanted to make sure the people knew that only God could light the fire. The key word here, humility. 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 And as Elijah called on the power of God, he prayed that he wouldn't be known, but that God would be known, that he would be known only as a servant of God. And as he sought God's fame, the fire fell from heaven. Students, don't miss this. When our heart's desire is to see God glorified, his fame promoted, and us known as his servants, that's when we'll see the power of God fall in our lives. That day, the fire fell from heaven. And it was so obvious that the Lord, he was God, that the people of Israel fell on their face before God and they exclaimed, he is God. If you keep reading the story, you see that Elijah eliminated everything that would hinder his relationship with God and God's fame above his own. And then we see when the people repented that God sent the rain. It's a pretty incredible story. Man, we got fire coming from heaven. We got stuff burning up. We've got all these miracles, wow. That would be so cool if we could see something like that in our lives. Don't miss this. The real miracle of this story, it's not the lightning or fire coming down from heaven. The real miracle of the story is Elijah's intimacy with God. And that same miracle is available to you and me today through Jesus Christ. Students, we want you to experience God's best in your life. That's why we've tried our best, not to just give you chicken soup for the soul and make you feel good about yourself and pop, pop, go off to college, have a great time. We want you to discover and to live God's very best for your life, and this is what we want you to know the big idea today is an unwavering commitment to God can be lived with confidence that no matter the cost, the circumstance, the conditions or the crowd, truth never changes. Let's bow our heads together. We can look at Jerry Rice's story and imagine what his life would have been like had he not made an unwavering commitment that summer afternoon. What I want you to do now is to imagine your life, how different it could be if today you don't make an unwavering commitment to the God who loves you and has given the very, very best for you. Imagine with me what your life could look like with an unwavering commitment to an almighty, all-powerful God who loves you and who has given everything for you to know him and to walk in the power and the blessing of an unwavering, intimate relationship with him. Students, don't miss one day of experiencing God's best for your life. Parents, don't miss one day of of experiencing God's very best for your life. Maybe today you need to ask yourself and be real with yourself, what false gods, what idols are competing for your loyalty to God? Maybe you need to say and be real with yourself, in what ways do I need to get my altar in order? Today I need to sacrifice my heart before God. Today, maybe you need to be real with yourself about how are you promoting God's fame in your school, in your home, or in your workplace. Maybe today you have missed out on the greatest miracle of knowing God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Just like that afternoon with Jerry Rice on that hill, would you let today be a defining moment in your life? Would you today say, God, I give you everything. I'm rebuilding my altar right now. I want to experience your best. I want to have intimacy with you. I don't want to buy the lie of idolatry. I don't want to believe the noise I don't want to go with the crowd. I don't want to waver when circumstances or conditions are tough. Today, I choose you and I want to be unwavering in an almighty, all-powerful God who has given everything so I can know him and experience his best for my life. If you've never given your heart and life to Jesus and experienced the miracle of a relationship with him, would you today say, God, I choose you I believe what Jesus did on the cross paved a way for me to have intimacy with you, for my sins to be forgiven, for my home to be heaven. Today I choose you. And Father, may we respond in obedience with confidence in a God who is always faithful to us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We pray your richest blessings on these students who are gonna leave this place to go change the world for your fame and for your glory. God, today we choose you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.